0: But I feel mm. like as we were founded in this large crisis of COVID, I think any crisis is a huge opportunity. Yeah. And like Every founder's job is to create kind of options that when there are no options. So mm. it's really kind of this brain game, how we can turn this into something. So I always try to look at it in a way where the positives are and where the negatives are and try to amplify the positives. This episode is brought to you by WHU, the Otto Beisheim School of Management. WHU is reshaping the way students learn about business, management, finance, and entrepreneurship through its innovative programs and partnerships in Germany and across the globe. To learn more about this globally ranked university, visit whu.edu
1: today. Hi folks, uh, Dries here. Today, I'm happy to introduce to you another young talent out of our ecosystem, namely Ege Gundus from TenLift. Ege grew up in Turkey, but at the age of 14, he moved to Berlin without his family to study at the Berlin Brandenburg International School. In 2020, after finishing his bachelor studies at Weyau, and after gaining some first experience in the Berlin startup scene, Ege decided to found the company TenLift with his co-founder Arif Dogan, with 10Lift, is trying to help HR leaders to create a more productive and collaborative work environment. To do so, they have developed the software application 10OS that can support companies in optimizing onboarding processes and increase engagement and productivity of workers. In this episode, we will talk with EGE to get to know more about his founding story. Hope you will enjoy the show.
0: Coming to you from WHU, on the banks of the Rhine River, in beautiful Fallendar, Germany. This is the Best and Most Awesome Founder Podcast. A show about entrepreneurs, innovators, advisors, and educators, and the stories that make them who they are today.
1: Ege, welcome to the podcast, and great that you're willing to share some of your experiences with us. Uh, Thank you very much for having me and thanks for organizing the podcast. Great. Um, As I briefly mentioned in my introduction, so you came to Berlin at the age of 14, leaving behind your family and your friends in Turkey. Can you explain a bit more why you made that decision to come by yourself to Turkey? Uh, yes. To Germany, sorry, to Germany.
0: Yeah. I get this a lot. Like, why, why came to Germany? Why such an early age? Uh, from my perspective, I would love to take the credit, uh, but the most credit goes my dad. Um, okay. At that age, I think, uh, especially uh, we knew Germany was a better source for education. I mean, at the time, I didn't, I wasn't so into entrepreneurship. Now looking back, it was the best choice coming here. But I think for me also, I took the leap of faith after my dad has convinced me to, I think, to make more international friends, uh, really see what life is beyond my bubble which was quite important for me as well. I mean, back then, I don't know how much I think about this, but I mean, now reflecting back, I feel like I probably would have thought about this as it's almost like 10 years ago, but no. um, most credit goes to my dad who really supported this decision. But immediately after, for me, it was an eye-opening experience and that's why I'm still here. I love it and probably will be here for 10 more years.
1: Okay, great. And and can you maybe explain us a bit how how this experience moving to Berlin alone at the age of 14 how that has shaped your, your perspective on life?
0: Yes, I think like, the interesting part is to make a lot of different funds. So you don't only get the same kind of perspective always from the same type of people. So now I have, I mean, fans from different spectrums talking about different things, some support, like opposite ends of political views, opposite ends of uh, view into an economic world. So for me, it was interesting at least to create, I think, a balanced uh, look into the world and balanced look into how things shape and form. To see both sides of the opinion and then form one, yeah. because I feel like if I only saw one side of the coin, I would probably be more biased towards one side. So this way, I like as mentioned, uh, I think it's also interesting in conversations. I think as a lot of my friends are also uh, have seen the double sides as my kind of university or high school, back that mm. was boarding school. Uh, so this month that everybody kind of like this this person that have seen both. So it's really interesting to also interact with internationals. Um, I think really eye opening experience.
1: Okay, great. Now, uh, let us maybe move forward a bit in your, your history. Um, so in 2020, if I understood well, you finished your bachelor at Wehau. You took your first job uh, starting at a uh, startup in Berlin that helps other companies developing minimal viable products. But of course, 2020 was the time when Corona uh, restrictions hit all of us, which meant uh, that you were actually forced to work at home. And as I understood, you quickly decided to create uh, a Slack channel at your company to try to stimulate interaction among colleagues. Can you tell a bit more about what this Slack channel actually was about?
0: Yes. So this kind of goes back to me making this, like at least having this personality during the times I moved here that I really understood. I like connecting people and I really like enabling people to kind of help each other. So not me helping them, but also connecting other people together. Um, I think this carried together with me uh, throughout my studies and throughout uh, after that as well, but of course get mixed together with entrepreneurship and my love for product. So then everything kind of conjoined at this point where I joined the company helping other companies build best products and, and what I realized is we're an amazing team uh, who play volleyball after. And we had a FIFA in the office and we had a chess tournament. So I saw what bonded us a lot, which I think team engagement was super important. And for us, it was mostly sports, forms of sports. And I realized like super engaged team, sure. But as soon as the COVID times hit during mm. my work times, basically, I went to my house working from the couch and I quickly realized my interaction has only decreased to probably my only supervisor back then. Uh, yeah. Uh, which was amazing. Uh, I love Fabius, but uh, I couldn't kind of connect with the rest of my team, which for me was quite sad to not be able to really interact with them. I tried to find excuses, try to find online chess tournaments. Didn't work. They (laughs) play FIFA. I have no PlayStation. So for me, there was almost no way to connect to my team. And I was like, I want to work environment like before, but I do also want to find a way that we can do this in a remote setting. So that's what the aha moment came of. Why don't we use what we loved before, sports, turn it into a more virtual environment, maybe a little gamification on top of it and see if this can really help us elevate our spirit. This can really bring us together in in this uh, digital realm, which was the start of this fitness bot. I mean, for me, it was like an idea that uh, basically began and I directly went to the HR. I'm like, look, I have this idea because I know our HR is spending so much time faking uh, different bots in the Slack channel to make sure we talk to each other. But the true form of engagement, it happens usually bottom up. It can't be something HR just sends a fun quiz and then people like it and answer it. It needs mm. to be something we all enjoy and love. That's why when I went to her with the idea of let's build something what we used to love before in the digital environment, uh, physical environment into the digital, and then we then kicked off the fitness spot, which is also a crazy idea on its own.
1: <laughs> okay, and so you 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 were looking for something more authentic uh, that that really could make a difference. In this online environment where people could share experiences and so what, what kind of what kind of challenges did you then have in, on the slack channel well, yeah. what did you do there
0: yeah so i realized i mean we had basically in our team there was a lot of people who ran a lot of people who kind of did workouts a lot of people who did then other activities that could be summarized also as a workout so Mainly, okay, like the starting of the fitness bot was like me and my friend, we used to start going on runs together. So okay. with each other, then we started sending pictures to our Slack channel, quickly realized other people ping them, talk about it, went to the runs themselves. And then we had this almost mini competition between people, but just verbal. It's like, Hey, I run five, you run six, like how come? So then I was like, okay, interesting. Like this is driving people's engagement. Why don't we kind of then build something that actually creates this competition so, um, the fitness bot was created. It's just like another fake Slack account I created. It's called the fitness bot. Uh, we okay. launched it in a new channel. And I told people in two weeks, we have this competition. And the goal is we have five categories of sports. I think it was like biking, running, walking, workout, forgot the last one, maybe yoga or meditation uh, for also like little mind space stuff. And no. at the end of the two weeks, whoever has the most points, uh, will win X, Y, Z. And that was sponsored by the company, which I remember. So knowing <laughs> us, super competitive, super sporty, loves kind of this engagement environment. Um, okay. so that's when the bot started and people could just ping the bot in a channel. I would take all the inputs, uh, go into my Excel sheet, add it to their name. And then every night I would create a visual dashboard of okay. how we are performing. And then every morning I would post it with a nice message on the channel. Uh, so I was basically like doing everything kind of the engagement part, but still letting people kind of talk around it in Slack channel, ping each other and have competition, which was this organic level of really building this engaging environment.
1: Yeah. And and as I understood, you would even then starting doing pumps together, not something like that (laughs) at the start of a meeting. That sounds quite crazy. That was crazy. I mean, I'm just sitting in my home in in my
0: computer. I have almost no control on like what's going on. We just have a meeting that's about to start. And I think one of the principles in the company is like, hey, why doesn't everybody do ten push-ups right now? So okay. I, there's people at home and there's also twenty people at the office. I have a screenshot of our <laughs> office, which was like twenty fifth floor in Berlin with a beautiful Berlin view, and everybody basically doing push-ups in, in Monday meetings, and then everybody would be submitting that on the fitness bot, which I then took and submit the data. But for me, that was like the peak uh, of how we could basically create a culture uh, mm. by just introducing something
1: fun that everybody likes. Yeah that's that's really engagement not that's uh, yeah, quite exactly. interesting great and and so in the end in in like february 2021 you decided to leave the job where you were to really start developing and and launching this fitness bot as a kind of commercial activity can you tell us a bit more about how you envisioned that product yeah so there was
0: a vision and the vision was organic engagement for teams i wanted to align teams to bring teams together now, uh, I think between that point and between the beginning point, there wasn't much. Um, and I knew I had to form it on the way. So for me, it was like, I found something. It works. Let me launch it. And after I launch it, basically, like, let me try to figure it out on the way. Uh, okay. Like, this is the entire kind of story, but I was confident. That's the that real
1: it- entrepreneurial mindset, not it's like jumping from the cliff and building the play on the way down.
0: I think there was so many points that I could look back and say Um, I had support from incredible people and super lucky because I feel like um, if the start hadn't been such grandiose start, I think the journey uh, wouldn't have lasted this long because we were so lucky when we launched the bot in February Um, 1st. I get one of our now investors back then, uh, my ex coworker in another company, to build the entire bot. And I, I had to kind of convince his boss back then, is also an investor, that he should spend time for me to build the bot. <laughs> uh, so it was like, hey, like I will steal your engineer, let him build the bot for me. <laughs> so it was this crazy story of me figuring out how to build it, which it was in the beginning, um, the Slack bot I did by hand. And I was still planning to do it by hand until uh, Max is his name. Max said, "Ego, we can probably build it like a fully fledged bot. Uh, okay. Which he hadn't said that, if he wasn't there, I would not be able to scale it in February to uh, 10 companies that we had in the beginning. So yeah. we sit down together. We built a Slack bot that's fully automated. We built a dashboard that even you can see other companies. So I would be joining from X company. This much activity would be comparing to other companies that we have. Okay. Uh, so everybody would see like Berlin ecosystem. How active are we in a company level? And uh, that we launched in February. And um, that was a time where like uh, back then with COVID history, uh, Mm. we all uh, kind of worked at home uh, and everybody was so tired. HR people were like, okay, we need to introduce something. Uh, Like this is not working. So I think when I talked to them, they had this aha moment. Like, I love this. Let's build a two month challenge out of this. So we sold it to like a 300 person Berlin company, Berlin Fintech. Another Berlin company is Unicorn now. So we sold this huge companies that were like, okay, I love it. Let's try it at least. And with some... Uh, it stuck super well. I mean, like TLDR, even now that we don't continue the bot, one company who's like 350 people now, they use it every day. Uh, okay. So for me, it's, it's, and they still pay for it. I, I'm super <laughs> surprised. Like why they still pay for it is quite good. Uh, I mean, I'm really happy and they're really happy as well. So it was crazy to see. I mean, I am still very sure this could be a complete B2C, B2B spinoff idea where like teams get together and I see many more engaging kind of models come into this way. But what we realized quick when we launched our fitness bot was that it's a spark of engagement, but we wanted to continue with engagement. We want to have teams that kind of engage over time. Mm. For that, we realized we need to mix it with work because as teams were there to work and we need to make our work more engaging to have a continuous experience. So we kind of then um, started talking with HR, understand where the bot uh, performs the best and where the problem the most. And we quickly realized it's onboarding. Uh, people love it when they first join. I join a company, I use my bot, and I meet other people who also do sports. Like we built features in our bot, uh, kind of like Tinder. If, for example, I would be doing running sport, and um, another person in the company does running at the same activity level, we would suggest these people to each other. We'd be okay. like, why don't you meet the other person? And then, and then so on and so forth. So we built this super social uh, system, but then quickly a pivot came,
1: which is also another story. Yeah. Because so, Why did you then in the end decide to pivot? So you seem to have got some traction, but I think as you explained, it it triggered a lot of engagement initially, but then it was difficult to keep the engagement level. So then you decided to pivot. Can you explain a bit more how this pivot exactly happened?
0: I I knew this wasn't the end product. I knew this was my entry into the market, our entry into the market then as a company to really understand first, find a target customer, understand the problem. And really it's like the Trojan horse get into companies, talk to HR, understand their problems, and solve them. And why HR is not the story, which I will also come to later. So what we quickly realized, there's a spark in engagement in the week four, and then engagement falls down kind of near week eight. So we had this okay. super sparking engagement. Some companies, they still go because they have circulation of people, new people bring new engagement, but this didn't work in most cases. And after the COVID kind of lockdowns faded, when the summer came, people saw each other more. There was not this Fun, only fun need. They need to do kind of have more engaging work, but just mm-hmm. the fun bot wasn't their priority. So what yeah. we realized, a lot of HR people, especially that we worked with in the beginning, they had onboarding as a priority. They realized the system has become super disrupted. Their process is now like using many different software. They're trying to bring it together. And it's the first time we create engagement. Like first time I join a company is the first time I want to get connected to people. So then we started looking at the perspective of how can we improve employees journey starting from the beginning how can we really affect kind of this team engagement from the beginning and from my perspective slackboard is the entry into the market it's the Trojan horse onboarding is really kind of building a true product to really work with hr and then really understand how we can shape that into our vision more so that's kind of the more tangible product that leads to our vision then we and because
1: can... i think you you have talked quite a lot with with hr managers i suppose given this whole kind of history so so what do they share with you in terms of the pain point of onboarding processes? What, what is the problem there?
0: Yeah, first thing is, I think there's truly not one software that really helps this process. There's a lot of HRS software that, that helped this. But the problem was that uh, it was so hard to get the buy-in of people who are not HR. The onboardee didn't want to be in the HRS. The IT manager didn't want to be in the HRS. The other managers, the hiring manager, they all wanted to use tools who are more modern, and who look like the tools that's like Trello, that's like Asana, that's like ClickUp, that they're familiar with. So the Mm. first problem was getting people aligned, getting people in one software. The second is to create an end-to-end process. And kind of it was more a people problem in a sense where we can't create an end-to-end process if people are working in 10 different software. So we said, okay, we have to tidy this, this up. And a way to tidy this up is to create the most simplest and the most collaborative onboarding platform so nobody really thinks about oh, I don't want to log into this, it makes the job much easier. Instead of me doing things in Excel, I could just use an easy template in LiftOS, a time lift back then, and basically launch my onboarding project with a click. So we made it very easy and very collaborative. And then we started having some engagement touches because onboarding was super tactical. It's like, do this, do that, get this done. And then people didn't like that. We started introducing templates that maybe like we even ordered an Uber for the joiner with kind of welcomed her with flowers and so on. At one company it was a part of a template that we shared with other companies. We have a fun questions template where people answer questions. We create a fun PDF and then send it into a Slack channel so people can engage around it. So we truly created a simple, collaborative, and fun process out of a very tactile, uh, boring, and disrupted kind of disorganized process, basically.
1: Yeah, and so in the end, it's about you. Providing support to the HR people when new people enter the company, that they that they feel Im- immediately engaged into the company, that they feel welcomed, and to make that process as smooth as possible. Not that's yeah. how I understand it. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Um, now uh, you recently launched uh, what you call Lift OS. Uh, so that's as I understood it, the, the newest version of your platform, where you really try to help HR leaders. Uh, To cover even more steps and, and, and the processes. Now, can you explain a bit more what is actually unique about your solution? Because as you acknowledge yourself, there is quite some software out there. You're not the first one that produces software that is HR related. So can you delve a bit deeper into what makes you really unique?
0: Yes. I mean, uh, first, I would I mean love to talk as much as possible about this. I mean, product is something I love and in product sense, we're super unique, which I would love to explain, but more in a sense of what we create and how this is valued by HR. So first of all, um, HR is a people of group that has been long neglected for modern software. They've been mm. tactile and boring software that they, they don't usually even love themselves. And I think what we, if people love what they do, they should love the software that they use as well. So what did HR people do? They use Asana for product managers. They use Monday that was for marketers, but nothing that was for HR. But they have productivity problems. They're buying a ton of new software. They have the budget increase now. And what we see is that HR people, uh, they truly need a software that can help them be more productive because I feel like in this new way of work, HR are driving kind of the sense where we align together. They are the kind of, we are perfectly aligned with HR and what we want to achieve. We want more aligned and engaged teams. They want more aligned and engaged teams. If they don't love the software that does this, they won't be able to kind of manage this. So we try to build the sexiest, the most lovable, the most modern HR software to begin with. And the goal what we're doing is um, instead of the old way of building software, which is very fixed. I build a feature that's fixed. I build another feature that's fixed. And these two features may not interact with each other, or they may, but it's also fixed. What we do is we build our entire software modular. In the future, when we might have 20 different modules inside um, that harmonize and fit perfectly well with each other, which means we cover three things that HR people love. First, customization. They want everything and everything custom. Uh, <laughs> they also want everything scalable. So they're like, if I have a thousand people tomorrow, can this work? Like oh yeah we can make it work maybe and then they want it super easy so like these three things are super contradicting like customizable easy and scalable yeah like how how can we build it like that in a way but I think we managed it we we built it in a way that's modular if uh, we and the combinations of modules produce things for HR if you're doing onboarding you can use three of our modular apps which create an onboarding project if you're doing mm-hmm. recruitment you can use another app just change one app put another app in you do recruitment project so this way fully customizable, it's so easy. You just click, drag and drop, Appears in the project, you're running with it. You can even build workflows and highly scalable because everything is super connected. So that's why I think in the future, we might even kind of touch on how we build software, how software kind of interacts with itself and why we should build software that not just have pieces that don't talk to each other, but as we want people to connect, we want our software to be super connected within itself, super modular as well. So I think many parts, I feel like we're building something unique.
1: Right. Because and and it's maybe a broader topic, but but I still want to hear your opinion about it because when, when I teach, I, I teach about digital transformation at Wayao. I, I always use HR as a as a particular domain where I think that the level of digitalization is still surprisingly limited. If you still see how we we hire people by examining CVs and then we do a personal talk with people, which is of course in extremely biased, it still feels that this is a domain where in con- Contrast to other domains like marketing of, or even RD, digitalization has not yet been pushed through. Do you have an explanation for that? Talking with HR people?
0: Yes, I definitely agree with this. Um, they're not that digital yet, mm. which is for us the perfect starting point. I mean, yeah, of us, course. It's like <laughs> not digital, but I mean, we're all humans, we're all going in the same direction. It's like there was a saying um, the future is now, just not for some. I think that applies to HR. Uh, the feature is already here for many people in the company, but no. why do we neglect, neglect a very important department that touches every other department. So for me, it's a time and matter of time that someone introduces something and really uh, changes the people on how HR people behave, how they push products in the company. I think gone are the days of old and boring intranets uh, where people have to log into the software. HR is pushing everybody. They ping everyone. It's like, we want to create an HR force that really um, people look up to and say, wow, like they're really driving this change in the company. They're really helping us become more digital. And for that, I think slowly we're also trying to change HR mindset itself. Uh, so we have HR people who use now Lyft OS coming from an Excel sheet. They're coming from, I don't know, a manual processes, self-notes, but we introduced them to a vision that yeah. they can also be have the software that's super productive. Like this vision of they can also be the... The kind of partner in the company having the most modern and most lovable software that <laughs> yeah. others look up to. Because I think, I mean, if marketers get the best software and they're the super digital ones because of that, people look up to them. They're like, wow, mm-hmm. that's this and that. Like, I just have my Excel sheets. But now we give HR the same software and we'll see how people look up to them after.
1: Okay, yeah, very interesting. Now, um, in the end, uh, you're in a B2B business model, which I think is always much more challenging than a B2C business model. And I think in your specific case, in the end, I think often if you approach a company, the person that makes in the end the decision to buy the software might often be another person that will actually use the software. So often it's yeah. the IT department or that, that makes decisions on software, whereas in, in your case, it's the HR people that will use the software. So you actually, I think you have to convince different people in, in a company before they will be willing to buy your software. How, how do you address that challenge?
0: Yes, that is a challenge, and I think with B two B, this might be one of the main challenges of um, the user is not your buyer. Um, Yeah. yeah. So what we first do is we build something the users love. So when they're selling it internally, they really have passion for it. So it's not something that like, yeah, look, there's a software. It's a little clunky. It's a little modern, but it could maybe help us do X Y Z. But we really try to build a software that like, without this I can't live. Uh, Without this, like, I won't be able to be productive. Like, if you're hiring me, you need to get live to us for me. So that's the kind of way we're going and to kind of also facilitate that internally. We don't only give them a software that they can do X, Y, Z. We, we kind of basically together building this vision to be a more productive HR. And the software is itself, uh, it's a SaaS software. So we don't charge it super atrocious like maybe some intranets. So- okay. I feel like when we go to the buyer within the company, when we tell them, look, I'm here, but with the software, I can be 25% more productive, but it's only 5% of my salary. So it's a definite 20% gain on what you'll be investing in me. I feel like that might be a good sell. And this is already currently working as we are the first paying customers. We convinced some founders, some HR people went and pitched internally. So we also see people who are not HR using our software for HR functions, like hiring that. I'm internally saying, hey, I have Confluence, I have Notion, I have Asana, too complex. Let me just jump on LiftOS, I have everything for me for hiring. Because people, uh, just in growing companies and expanding companies, non-HR people do a lot of HR tasks, hiring, training, developing, feedback, everybody does this. So here's a tool, here's a templates, and go and do it. So it's like, we unlock the productivity of a lot of people internally. And I feel like that's a good sell. If we can really show people and kind of associate with people's improvement, and they also associate with this. So we have to be super personal, quite a lovable product, create a super easy product. And then I feel like after that, it's a quite decent sell. But of course, with business, everything goes down to money. If we can convince that it makes sense on a monetary case, then it makes uh, kind of sense. And I think productivity always sells.
1: So it's also a good starting point. Yeah, Great. Now, maybe a bit more uh, uh, yeah, tricky is maybe the wrong word, but still, of course, we have now, quite quickly entered a different kind of macroeconomic environment. Uh, But what we're seeing, and it's really, I think, in the past three, four weeks, that suddenly maybe a lot of startups are not talking about onboarding, but rather about saying goodbye to people. Um, Does that have implications for your company or is it an opportunity for you? How would you see it?
0: I mean, right now we cover offboarding, reboarding, crossboarding as well. Uh, I think in the employee journey, it's so important to onboard well and offboard well. Yeah. It's like if you have a girlfriend, uh, and if you like, after you know you, you break up, you look back, it's such a bad breakup and you have bad reflections. I feel like everything applies. If if you leave something bitter and that bitter yeah. to mind, you talk to other people about it. Mm-hmm. And then you also will realize that it's a company that I don't want to work in. Yeah. Uh, so offboarding, I mean, if you're offboarding employees because of the economic downturn, when we have an economic upturn, you might want to hire the exact same person again. So why offboard them in a way that's not kind of happy and doesn't make them kind of feel valued? With LyftOS, I mean, you could probably do this with templates super easy, but we also try to put a lot of human touch in there. And like one of the things that people um, don't really like, especially in this process, is unstructured processes. It's like if I'm offboarding and people don't really pay attention to me and I have to ping people, I don't like it. So awesome. for us, it's a huge opportunity. I think for any startup, kind of, if they can manage this, which we're also trying to see how we could kind of in this macroeconomic environment survive and thrive. But um, as people have a lot of fluctuations in or out, um, Lift OS will be there to help them do it more engaging, do it more structured, and do it in a way that they can really make sure to get the talents back, regardless of what uh, the circumstances are.
1: Yeah, great. Okay, so so you really see it as an opportunity, not that. Yeah, so that's. Uh... I
0: mean, in the long term, if, like many other things, also concern like our hiring, our investment processes, and so on. Um. Also, we don't know where it's going technically, but I feel mm. like as we were founded in this large crisis of COVID. I think any crisis is a huge opportunity. Yeah. And like Every founder's job is to create kind of options that when there are no options. So mm. it's kind of this brain game, how we can turn this into something. So I always try to look at it in a way where the positives are and where the negatives are and try to ap- amplify the positives.
1: Okay, great. And maybe related to that, so can you maybe tell a bit more about what is in the end your North Star or what is a bit the vision that drives StandLift?
0: Yeah, I mean, we want to be a software that really organizes work. Uh, I think aligned people come from aligned work and we need to really create a central place that we work and we can have HR people drive this. So and in our vision, uh, recently we did this practice where we wrote a page about where we see us in five years. Mm-hmm. And my story is something like the first we the first software people open in the morning. First software they check in the morning, it's the first place where they see, okay, what my teammates are doing, what am I doing, what are my tasks, what am I to do, what are my projects, who's joining our company, what are the news and announcements. So we really want to be the central piece that connects work. How we have a macOS that runs our software for the computer, how we have an iOS that brings everything together for the phones, now we have Lyft OS that brings everything together for work. And that's the kind of uh, feature and the vision that we are building towards. And again, HR is a huge catalyst with this because they want the software and they need a software like this that can really kind of um, be the central piece of work, kind of how intranets did it back then. I feel like Us is a new way to uh, kind
1: of manage that, a new 2.0 intranet, if you look at it like that. Yeah, okay, great. Ege, I really like your enthusiasm, <laughs> it's great to see this kind of entrepreneurial spirit that you're really into this and I hope it can become really a success and actually I'm looking forward to see what will happen in the next months also as being part of the we Are Accelerator. But so, thanks a lot for sharing some insights about 10Lift but also about your personal life, I think that was quite fascinating. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you
0: very much for giving the opportunity. I'm always happy to talk about the journey because I think it's something nice when you talk about it. It comes out all the positive parts that the negative ones. and It's amazing. <laughs> but uh, thank you very much again uh, for
1: the opportunity as well. You're welcome. And also thanks to our listeners for listening to this episode. I hope you also enjoyed it. If you enjoyed it, please don't forget to rate us on your favorite podcast uh, device. And we look forward to the next episodes. Okay, bye. Bye.